Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 16th of September 2018. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you can stream our broadcast and you'll also find a number of previously aired episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook, and today's weather, uh, a top of 13 degrees with a medium chance of shower. We've got winds coming in from the uh, west southwesterly direction at about 15 to 20 kilometres an hour, and they should become light in the late afternoon. Um, those northerlies that have been with us throughout uh, winter are now starting to uh, not so much become a thing of the past, but um, we're getting those southerly sea breezes kicking up. So as always, be careful if you're uh, out and about on the beautiful waterways in the state of Victoria. Okay, uh, we've got a treat for our listeners today. Um, I'm joined in the studio by David Donnelly, who is the manager of Killer Whales Australia. David, welcome to Out of the Blue. Good morning, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming into the studio today. So today we'll be covering a range of topics that uh, relate to marine mammal research, and we'll get an intriguing insight into David's life and his various projects that are on the go at the moment. And we'll kick off the interview uh, back in a sec after this brief community service announcement. Actually, we might forget about the community service announcement, uh, having some uh, technical difficulties there. That's uh, very interesting. Anyway, um, I'm going to try and uh, try and work out what the hell's going on there in a moment. Anyway, David, uh, can you give us a bit of an uh, bit of an outline in in a nutshell um, what your uh, uh, life story has been and where you're at today? Oh wow, where do we start? Yeah. Uh, look, I'm just a um, a regular person. I, I uh didn't really stay at high school for too long. I uh, was very passionate about the ocean and the marine, and the marine environment itself and also terrestrial animals. Um, just really got interested in things like uh, unusual species, things that um, fly that shouldn't fly and things that live in the ocean that technically shouldn't. So uh, marine <laughs> mammals are one of those, including the, the whales, which never come out into the land, of course, and, uh, and flying things like bats. Uh, flying mammals really intrigued me. So uh, from that point on, I guess I've just really followed that uh, that passion through my life and uh, ended up doing uh, marine science as my uh, my paid job, which I'm very, very fortunate to do. Excellent, excellent. So how long, uh, what sort of career length are we talking about there now? How long have you been employed in the marine science side of things? Uh, I first began working in um, um, whale research in southern New South Wales in 1994. Uh, since then, it's been a bit of a, a trickle effect, I guess, setting some goals and finally uh, finding my feet in uh, where I fit. And uh, where I fit is working with large animals in small boats. There you go. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So there, yeah, that's a hell of a career. 1994. So was there a particular location um, as as a young man where you sort of kept going back to? Was there any? What was there a conduit um, that really drew you in, uh, like geographically? I mean. 
Yeah, I have a really strong passion for the southern coast of New South Wales. It's uh, it's a fantastic place to visit, both on the land and the sea. Uh, it's well known for its stories around killer whales and their their involvement with hunting whales of the past. Oh yeah. And uh, I visited there in 1983, uh, just as a uh, passerby, and was really taken by the story of Tom, the old killer whale there. Oh, yeah. Uh, since then, I've been returning almost every year since 1994. And uh, we actually were successful in getting some funding to do a project out of that area on the feeding behaviour of humpback whales on migration. So a really, really lucky guy I am, but uh, uh, I don't claim to be anything more than I am, which is just a lucky guy who happens to have a great passion for the marine environment. Awesome. So for the uh, benefit of our listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about what you alluded to before with, uh, what was it, old Tom, wasn't it? The the killer whale around Eden? Fascinating story where uh, a pack of killer whales were reported to to be helping whalers track down whales uh, by in some cases, in some accounts, towing longboats off the shore with the help of the uh, the rowers to help hunt and kill these whales for commercial purposes. The uh, the story behind it goes that these animals hang around and uh, alerted uh, the whalers to the presence of whales. Uh, once the whale was killed by the harpoon, the whale was then left for the killer whales to eat the lips and tongue, a delicacy for the species, before the whalers dragged those uh, carcasses ashore and processed them. So uh, and a really unique symbiotic relationship between animals and uh, and human beings. That's incredible. It's one of the only, surely one of the only instances of that documented in the world, like for that to happen to that extent, isn't it? That it, sort of thing. It sure is with killer whales. There are some other accounts of uh, bottlenose dolphins herding uh, small fish into the coastlines so uh, traditional fishing methods can throw nets and catch uh, catch little coastal fishes. Uh, but really this is the, a really unique account about a highly intelligent top level predator that could do very well on its own um, seemingly assist Humans. That's that's brilliant. I remember a number of years ago. Actually, not all that. Uh, not all that. It's only a few years ago. I think that I headed to. Um that uh, Sapphire Coast region and Marimbula Pambula and that sort of area and went up to Eden and we checked out the Killer Whale Museum and I was just amazed to see how they've got uh, old Tom Skeleton there and uh, you look at his skull and his teeth are worn down on the one side where he used to grab, I think it was the ropes or something that he used to yeah. guide the boats out with. That's correct. That's the story. How's the story goes? You know, uh, as scientists, we're always looking for the evidence. Um, so I guess without that evidence, we're still slightly speculative, but the story's great. Uh, there is some evidence there, and certainly those animals were present and seemingly assisting the whalers in the time. So it's, it's just fascinating. It's stuck in my brain you know, since I was a young kid, and, and uh, every time I go back to Eden, I visit the, uh, the centre there and share whatever we've learned about killer whales in, in time and visit old Tom. Um, just a very sentimental place for me. Oh, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Okay, I might just uh, try this uh, community service announcement again, and we'll be back in a sec. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others were. The recognition of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. 
You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. So, uh, David, can you tell us a bit about um, the uh, the current work that you're uh, you're undertaking with uh, with killer whales, which surely are one of the most fascinating beasts we have on the planet? They certainly are. To, to people like myself and uh, many of my colleagues, they certainly are the uh, most intriguing of all the top-level predators, including on the land. Um, for us here in Australia, it's, it's an incredibly difficult task to try and study killer whales. Um, they're highly mobile. There's virtually nothing known about them. And uh, it's just near impossible to, to do field work with them. Uh, certainly here on the east coast and the eastern half of the country, there's a couple of sites in the western side of the country where you can do this, this work, Bremer Bay being one in southern western oh, Australia, yes, yeah. the other in Exmouth. Um, but there's no such places on the east coast. So we're tasked with a very difficult uh, uh, job, and that is to try and understand the eastern Australian killer whales. Right. And the way we do that is through citizen science. Uh, we do that through people uh, viewing these animals from the land or from their recreational vessels, from tour vessels, or even from commercial fishing vessels. And we uh, collect images that are donated to us, processing those images into what we call a catalogue. So a little bit like a, a shopping catalogue, you get to see pictures of things. And uh, we're able to compare the uh, unique features of these animals um, between sightings. So their dorsal fins, their saddle patches, which is the grey marking behind the dorsal fin. And also their eye patches, which are just behind the eye, that lovely white feature. So uh, currently we've got uh, 70, uh, sorry, 63 animals in the catalogue. We believe there could be upwards of 200 individuals along the east coast of Australia, which we believe are unique to Australian waters. We don't believe that they migrate to the Antarctic. Wow. And this is one of the big questions we're facing with Australian killer whales. Where do they fit in the picture of killer whales around the world? Um, and for a long time, it's been thought that they just migrate to the Antarctic, like most other large whales, the southern rights uh, to the southern ocean, and of course the humpback whales that migrate all the way to the to the uh, ice edge. Right. So for us, um, we're we're now stuck in a bit of a conundrum, which is slightly uh, difficult to process. But we're getting there with uh, some work with colleagues looking at. Uh, looking at the genetics of these animals and seeing where they fit globally. Unreal. Um, so very, very hopeful that in the near future we'll know more about this and uh, we're, we strongly believe that Australian killer whales will be separated as a different uh, subgroup or ecotype in the future. Yeah, there you go. So do we have, um, I know for a number of animals, and if we look at uh, great white sharks as an example, they seem to have distinct eastern and western Australian uh, populations. There's a, there's a sort of a line of separation. They think are sitting around Wilson's Promontory um, do we have eastern and western, effectively, populations for killer whales, or do we think they're homogenous around, uh, r- around Australia? Right now, we believe that they're separated into uh, probably genetically isolated groups, um, where there's no re-site information, and we have very good coverage in the southern parts of uh, Australia, but certainly from Victoria and Tasmania and Western Australia. South Australia, a bit of a gap for obvious reasons. Not many people live on the coast there. Yeah. Um, and so far, we had no matches between those two areas. So uh, that suggests to us, at least in a preliminary way, that we think that they're probably isolated as populations. But uh, again, the genetics will help us answer that question in the near future. Yeah, very good. So when we look at, uh, you mentioning some of the, uh, the the colour patterns and that sort of thing that help you distinguish individuals. Also, the uh, the dorsal fin, are you using the, uh, the dorsal fin recognition software that they use for, for great whites and other things as well? There is some software available to, uh, to use in these, uh, these matters. 
commonly used in uh, bottlenose dolphins, but we found that uh, the features of killer whales are, are different enough to say that we're really the eye is the best way to determine an individual. Sure. Um, there is some mapping software which is used on uh, whale sharks, um, using patterning on the, of the whale sharks that could be used to in, in killer whales, but so far we've not yet adapted it for the killer whale process. Um, killer whales are very uniquely marked. Uh, they they're quite obvious in, as individuals with different scarring and, and saddle shapes. There's three key features that I mentioned earlier. So uh, unlike um, white sharks, which just have the one key feature, um, and, and probably the same for, uh, although there would be two for whale sharks, um, we believe that we're probably doing the best we can with what we've got right now. But yeah. uh, if someone's willing to develop some software <laughs> that will uh, recognise saddle patterns and uh, fin shape as well as eye patch, uh, then we're more than happy to look at that. Absolutely. No, that's uh, that's amazing stuff. So um, when we're uh, uh, looking at the, the killer whales, you said before that they don't appear to migrate down towards Antarctica. Do we have any sort of um, any sort of feel for how widely they range throughout Australia, or they do, do tend to be relatively localised? You think? What's your sort of hunch around that? Um, the hunch is that they've probably got a medium level of migration. Um, we're basing that on our citizen science photographs and the um, recognition of the fins as they pop up uh, throughout the year. So what we can say about the best known groups is they range somewhere between. Um, around about 700 and 1,000 kilometres. Um, that's purely based on citizen science, though. So we're, we're talking about the extent of perhaps around Jervis Bay, New South Wales, through to the Derwent River in Tasmania, and a little bit to the west as well through the uh, through Bass Strait. Right. So there's a, a fair bit of, you know, I guess, travelling around in, uh, in unpredictable manners. But in terms of your latitudes... That would be what we would classify as our as our maximum migration uh, distance at this point, based on what we have. It's likely it's further. Yeah, there you go. Now we've seen some uh, some fascinating research again that I've had um, a, a little bit to do, and um, uh, with the uh, uh, white shark research, I was lucky enough to spend a couple of months years ago now at the CSIRO when they were just starting off doing some work on uh, archival tagging and also uh, um, satellite tagging of the of the sharks. Um, is there any such moves to do that with uh, with killer whales? Anything in the pipeline there? There has been a little bit of tagging done with killer whales. It's all been based out of uh, Western Australia where the sites are more reliable. So you can literally go out of uh, Bremer Bay in southern Western Australia and you know with some confidence you're going to find killer whales, um, usually around about 85 to 90% uh, likelihood of finding them. Wow. So there has been uh, a couple of tags deployed, one from Exmouth and one from uh, Bremer Bay. Uh, unfortunately, the animals didn't really migrate very far, so not much was told about where they went. <laughs> right. But uh, it did tell some very interesting stories about the habitat use, which is another thing which you'd be familiar with with the white sharks. These animals are hid uh, in these areas for a real purpose. They're not going anywhere. They're ranging maybe a, a hundred or so kilometres east-west, but coming back to the same spots. So clearly those areas are of very high significance for those particular individuals. As far as where their migration goes, well, we need to get a tag in towards the end of the season and hopefully one day that will happen and tell us where these animals go because so far... Bremer Bay's animals have not been photographed anywhere else. Yes, yeah. With that uh, that region of the world, when we look around, uh, I suppose, Bremer Bay, um, uh, Dunsborough, these sorts of areas, been in the news a little bit of uh, in the last few years with an unusually high uh, spike in the number of fatal shark attacks in that area, from uh, ostensibly from great whites. Um, do we have, uh, uh, apart from that interaction with humans that you spoke about before with old Tom, um, is there much in the way of interactions between humans and killer whales in that? in that part of the world? 
Uh, very much an unknown in that part of the world. Our colleagues at uh, Project Orca and SeaTrek over there in the West um, have been doing their best to look into uh, the movement of these animals and their interactions with fisheries and uh, with people in general. And there seems to be very little. Uh, certainly with Whale Watch, they do interact with the vessels uh, from time to time. And that's uh, repeated in Exmouth as well. But really, these are top-level predators. They're focused on feeding and making little whales, uh, not too interested in, uh, in vessels and, uh, and, and humans as, a, as a, I guess, a prey item. Um, the chances of them attacking a human being seem to be very, very, very low. The only accounts that we can confirm are from captive environments. Uh, my personal experience is they may show dominance behaviour, towards humans if they're not happy with your presence. Other than that, they appear to be quite shy of uh, human beings. And that stands to reason. They're a top-level predator. They're used to chasing things, not being chased. Yeah. So uh, that puts them, perhaps puts them out of their comfort zone. Having said all that, they have been well known for interacting with fisheries in a practice which we call depredation, taking fish off benthic long lines before they can be retrieved by the fishermen. <laughs> so clearly that's not ideal for the fishermen, but seems to be a pretty good option for the killer whales. Wow, very good stuff. All right, well, we might, um, we might go to a quick song just to break things up a little bit. Uh, the Nature Conservancy actually gave a fantastic uh, presentation just recently, an update on the uh, Port Phillip Bay Shellfish Reef Restoration Project. In one area of the world, that got mentioned regularly during that update was Chesapeake Bay on the uh, east coast of the United States and, uh, of course, Hurricane uh, Florence uh, now being thankfully downgraded to a tropical storm but still causing all sorts of havoc in the uh, Carolinas particularly. Uh, here's a song that's somewhat appropriate for that one. This is uh, Dancing in the Storm by Boom Crash Opera. Lying in the dark, I know you are awake I will not give in I will not give in Pulling faces and admitting not a thing I will not give in I will not give in So it's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots, curry or world music you're into, 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you. You're with Music Sans Frontier, music from around Australia and around the world. Good afternoon everybody and welcome to another edition of Great Voices. You're listening to Hit Sister Hop on 3CR 855 AM. Music matters on 3CR, 12 noon every Friday. Keep these diverse tunes on the air by subscribing to 3CR. Call 94198377. The newspaper shout, a new style is you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. Uh, so David, could you tell us there was a, a, an interesting sighting made uh, recently? Yeah, just this morning actually uh, got the details of a killer whale sighting at Phillip Island. Phillip Island's been very well uh, populated with killer whale sightings this particular year, which is uh, fantastic for the islanders. Um, yeah, so an abdiver was um, working just on the uh, southern side of the island there and... Um, bunch of killer whales showed up. Uh, the reason we found out about that uh, sighting is through Fisheries Victoria. Uh, gave us a bit of a heads up uh, through our, our local project, which is the Two Bays Whale Project, which includes Port Phillip, Western Port, Barwon Heads through to Inverloch, 
where we document whale movements. And killer whales are just one of uh, three key species that we look at uh, on that project. So uh, it was very exciting. It hasn't actually been posted yet, and the photos are on their way. So uh, wow. people look out on our Facebook page at uh, Two Bays Whale Project. They'll be, uh, be able to be updated on that sighting as well as other sightings. Oh, awesome. What a hell of a sighting that is. A whole. Uh, do we know how many individuals turned up? There were five individual killer whales. Uh, one in particular came towards the vessel and uh, paralleled the vessel for a short period of time. And uh, the gentleman who contacted me this morning has been kind enough to share that with us. So it's a beautiful piece of footage. Amazing. Hopefully we'll be able to match that individual to our catalogue. And uh, if not, well, we've got a new animal. That's absolutely amazing. Wow, what a, and a beautiful part of the world too, Phillip Island. I haven't been down there enough uh, lately, but it's uh, an amazing environment out there. That's, uh, that's, that's great stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about the, uh, about the Two Bays project? Uh, well, again, the Two Bays Whale Project is a uh, citizen science project. It relies on community, um, used to, usually coastal communities, but also people who are visiting the coasts to report their sightings of whales, uh, particularly between around about May and August when we have the peak season for humpback and southern right whales. Um, but it does go throughout the, the season, uh, throughout the year. So outside of those time periods, we have a few stray humpbacks and we have a few stray southern rights, but we also have killer whales, um, the odd minke whale, and uh, every now and then we get a, a blue whale sighting, which is uh, also very nice. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a great project. Um, we've been very successful in being able to build an understanding of whale movements along our coasts. Uh, and we've been running officially for about four years but our data streams back to 1984 when the first record of humpback whales post-commercial whaling happened in Port Phillip. It was actually in Carayo Bay way back when. So uh, we're very proud of the work we've been doing. It's pretty much unfunded and uh, we're reliant on the citizens of our uh, wonderful communities along the coast to be able to help contribute to that and let us learn a little bit more about whales in Victoria. Excellent. So those that are interested in uh, in making donations to that one, that was the, uh, the what's the website that they go to? For that? Uh, well, we have a, we run it through the Dolphin Research Institute, which is based in Hastings in Victoria. Uh, and that project has, a, has its own page within that uh, website and it's www.dolphinresearch.org. And people can contribute either to directly to the project through uh, any sort of donations they wish, but also com contribute their sightings through sighting forms, on, which are online. A uh, very successful way of collecting data. And they can also upload their photos. And then those photos, if they're the right side of photos, which is the uh, underside of the tails of humpback whales, they can be added to our catalogue, which we now have 71 73? I think it's 73 flukes from the, uh, from the Victorian catalogue, which is uh, fantastic news. And some of those animals have been matched to other places along the uh, Australian coastline as far up as Byron Bay in New South Wales. So Amazing. Uh, it's been fantastic. We're really growing quite quickly, almost as quickly as the population of humpbacks is. Oh, that's great stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. I, I did see a nice uh, pod of what we think might have been Byron and Dolphins a little while ago at uh, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary. They were off the shore there, about 300 metres out and um, I was actually going in for a snorkel at the time so just before I managed to get in the water saw the dorsal fins and everything and then a boat come past and they might have reacted to that and just died down and didn't see them again they, they took off so that sort of sighting might be worth sort of logging on the Dolphin Research Institute site yes there's also um, Dolphin sighting page as well but um, everything comes through our uh, sighting forms online and they're sifted through the whales come to me and the, and the dolphins go to our research director uh, Sue Mason so uh, very happy to receive both dolphins and whales 
But uh, from the point of view of the Two Bays Whale Project, please do send in your sightings and even better, send in the photos that go with them, even oh, if they're yeah. bad ones. Yeah, yeah, good good to know, good to know. Well, there you have it, people. That's fantastic. And thanks also for that scoop on that hot off the press sighting today. Literally <laughs> off the press this morning. That's great stuff. The ab diver seen the killer whales. Absolutely incredible. Okay, well, we've, uh, we've come to the end of Out of the Blue for another week. Uh, David, thanks so much for coming into the studio today. Oh, thank you for allowing me to have my first visit to 3CR. It's been great. Terrific, terrific. We'd love to get you on the show again to tell us, uh, the, the give us the latest goss and the latest research in the uh, amazing world of marine mammals. That would be fantastic. Okay, well, um, stay tuned for Out of the Pan coming up next and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.